There we go. Okay, John 15. Last night we were in John 14. I preached on greater works. And um, going to John 15 tonight, I'll tell you a little about this. Years ago, I had a uh, young lady. Uh, maybe it was a fellow. Let me think. I th- yeah, I guess it was a young man. I was down at um, Fundamental Baptist in Escondido, and I would, at the time, I was going there every year for a family tent meeting. So uh, a young person had come to me, and again, I think it was a, a junior high guy, and he said, I'm supposed to interview either a, you know, a missionary or an evangelist coming through, and so I wanted to give you a little questionnaire ahead of time so you know where I'm going to go with our interview. Would that be okay? I said, sure. So among the other questions, one was, what is your favorite chapter of the Bible? Well, I had never thought about that before. You know, how do you pick a favorite chapter of the Bible? That's like if you have a favorite book, what's your favorite chapter? I don't know. So I didn't want to just say, well, they're all good. Because you all know, all Scripture is profitable, but not all Scripture is equally interesting. Uh, you get in the Chronicles and, you know, okay, some of the Leviticus, you kind of, all right, you know, and there's a purpose for it, but it's not all your most intriguing devotional reading, right? So, you know, you do have some chapters you really like more than others, and I was thinking, okay, if I had to boil it down, if I had to say this chapter above all kind of is a go-to chapter for me, what would it be? And as I pondered that throughout the week, I came up with John 15. John 15, verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to be tonight. Let me read it, and then I'll, I'll give you a title and tell where we're going. Oh, I have a little reminder to myself here. We, we switched our uh, newsletter over that we put out every year to an electronic form. Is it right to mention a newsletter, Pastor? It's, it's informational. I don't, I'm not soliciting money, and I'm not you know, trying to throw a doctrinal perspective out there. All I do is tell you what we're doing out there. Um, so that we call it the Tozer Times. We used to send it out by mail but now we do it electronically. And I'll put this back with the prayer card. There's a QR if you want to scan it. You can just sign up. Or you can go to our website and just for information. That just tells what we're doing. People always ask, did you ever get your trailer? And, you know, did you get your daughters married off? And so we'll answer all those things. All right, John 15. So the Lord Jesus is the one speaking here. And notice he says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Okay, so a husbandman is the one that keeps the vineyard. He's the farmer. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that he may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing." If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Now there is a lot in there. I've entitled the message tonight, Three R's of Abiding in Christ. Three R's. Do you ever hear of the three R's in school? Okay, years ago, we'd talk about the three R's. Uh, This is back before schools, you know, try to teach children transgenderism and wokeism and everything else. Remember when schools actually focused on academics? And what were the three R's? Do you remember? Reading, writing, and arithmetic. The funny thing is only one of them is an R. (laughs) Reading's an R. Writing, that's a W. And arithmetic, that's an A. 
but they were called the three R's, okay? So somebody got him a good education. Uh, the three R's. So I remember when I went to college, and I, I was at Pensacola Christian working on a Bible degree, my dad ended up coming to PCC, and we moved our family down there. And he was getting a Bible degree, thought he might be a pastor. He never was, but he wanted to be prepared for whatever God had. So I'm actually in classes with my dad. He's in a master's level program. I'm in Bible classes, but we had some joint classes together. And so we'd be home studying, and my dad was always the driven type. He wanted to get A's, so help him, you know, and me too. But I wasn't competing against him, but I remember one day he was really struggling. I said, Dad, what are you struggling with? He said, Rich, I haven't been in school forever. He said, I'm struggling with all of it. I said, what do you mean all of it? He said, the three R's. I thought, oh, man, we're in trouble. I said, reading, writing, and arithmetic? He said, no, recall, recollection, and remembrance. I just can't remember anything I read, you know? So as you get older, you might relate to that, right? Well, I want to tell you, three R's are foundational to education, and the three R's in this chapter are essential to the Christian life. And what are the three R's? Well, first of all, number one is remain. The word remain. What does the word abide mean? Remain, dwell, be at home in. Okay, normally I, I am based in Kansas City, Missouri. Lately, we've, been, um, we've parked our trailer down in Pensacola, Florida. We just sold my mom's house. My mom went to be with the Lord last year. Um, we just put money on a house in Florida yesterday, uh, this past weekend, so I'll, I'll probably put my residence in, in Florida uh, my ministry is based in Kansas City. So, you know, and then I'm on the road all the time. I live in a fifth-wheel trailer. I'm the kind of guy, you know, where's home? Wherever I shut the door of the trailer, that's where I live, right? This week, it's Tim and Megan's house. So I'm, I'm living here, okay? So to abide or remain, the idea is to move in, to dwell there. So when you see the word abide in me, okay, it's remain in me, be at home in me. What is the concept? Well, I want you to go over to First uh, John for a minute. So John wrote both this book and obviously a few others. In fact, John wrote five books of the Bible. So we know he wrote the Gospel of John. What else did he write? First, second, third John, and the Revelation. What Pastor was talking about John tonight um, in our prayer time, and while he said it, I always thought, you know, that's interesting. Remember when uh, Peter had denied the Lord, and then he's going to restore him to fellowship? And he's telling him, you know, Peter, one day you're going to stretch your arms out and another will gird you. He's speaking of Peter would be crucified. And, and you remember Peter said, he turns around and John's following. He says, well, what about this guy? What will this man do? And he said, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? And then rumor went, John's not going to die till the Lord comes back. Well, that was not the case, but John was the last to die. In fact, many believe it was around 95 or so when John died. And you think about that, um, if, if he was in his 20s or 30s when he was a disciple, he's an old man. So all the other disciples died martyrs' deaths. John didn't. I, I, I thought about that. Why, you know, why does one guy, like James, got beheaded early on, just months after Jesus uh, ascended to heaven? And then John, uh, he lives all the way till, you know, 95 or so A.D., well, interesting, during all that time, John was still around, so people who had not lived with Jesus, he could correct the record. He could tell them, no, I, we walked with him. He was an eyewitness, so all the way until the turn of the next century, there was a witness among people, yeah, I was one of the 12. I can, I can tell you firsthand. Interesting. So here we are, First John chapter 1, and when you read this, then you take into account, this is a man who was there 
day in and day out with all the major events of Jesus' earthly life, his earthly ministry. And notice what he says, starting in verse uh, f- 6. Now, interesting, the key word in 1 John chapter 1 is the word fellowship. You'll see it in uh, verse 3, that which is... Um, which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you may have fellowship with us. Truly our fellowship is with the Father. And then in verse 6, you'll see it again. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Notice from 6 to 10, all the verses start with, if we. And there are a few claims. If we say we haven't sinned, if we confess our sins, if we say we've not sinned, well, then he he corrects something about that. On the other hand, verse 7, if we walk in the light, well, we have fellowship one with another. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So notice we go back and forth between some claims and some conduct, okay? But it's all about fellowship with the Lord. So back to John 15, and you notice, I want to go right to the heart of the passage. We won't necessarily take these verses in order. I want to get it in order of uh, meaning. So the first idea of the word abide is remain. And look, this is in verses 3, 4, and uh, I'm sorry, 4, 5, Six and seven. Look at four. Again, John 15, uh, verse four. Abide in me, remain in me, stay in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you accept you abide in me. Let me illustrate. I went out and uh, I broke off a sprig off of one of the bushes outside. Now see, these little flowers here are pink and they're really pretty right now, but what are they gonna look like in about a day or two? They're going to be shriveled up and withered, right? Because they've been broken off the vine, the the branch. Okay, so God designed it so, you know, process of photosynthesis, all of the nutrients run through that stem. And once you break the flowers off, they're not going to last real long. Okay, now there is a principle of grafting. They could be grafted back in. And if that connection were reestablished, then this little sprig would live. What's the idea of abiding in Christ? Can we lose our salvation? No, I I dealt with this yesterday. John 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. Okay, he has. That's present tense. He has everlasting life. And it says he's passed from death to life. Is passed. That's perfect tense. One-time action. Ongoing ramifications. Ephesians says you're already seated with Christ in the heavenlies, so once you're saved, you are forever saved. Now, does that mean you're always in fellowship with God? No, we just read it in 1 John. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie. Well, who's we in that passage? Well, it's pretty obvious. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Is that true of humanity in general? If, If, you know, Joe Schmo, sinner, just confesses sin to God. Is God just saying, all right, it's all good then? No. Who is God faithful and just to forgive? The believer, the Christian, yeah. He's not just to forgive the unjustified. Okay, so if we, believers, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So obviously, you can have a permanent relationship with God, but get out of fellowship with God. 
I was in West Virginia preaching in a church one time, and I was commenting on, you know, relationship is permanent, but fellowship is conditional. And a man came to me, and he said, oh, I got a good illustration for that. I grew up here in West Virginia. It's coal country here. You know, we have coal that's used for energy plants. And he said they haul the coal in these big uh, containers, these um, railroad cars. And he said, we lived by the railroad track. And so when the trains would come by, the coal trains, they would shift back and forth, and the, the coal dust, I forget the term for it, it's kind of a silt, would go down from the cars, and it would gather in the uh, creek under the trestle bridge where the, where the train would run. Well, he said, we're little boys. We love to go play on the coal piles under the creek. But he said, it's all black and soot. What do you think we looked like when we came home? We were black head to toe, you know, covered in coal dust. And, and we, I'd come running to the house when mom would ring the bell for supper and she'd say, whoa, 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 just a minute. You're always accepted at home, but you are not always acceptable at home. You go out and get that hose, you rinse off, and then you go up and you get a shower and then you may come to the table. Okay, now mom wasn't saying I'm kicking you out of the family, but she's saying you gotta get cleaned up if you're gonna come to the table. You know, that reminded me, I had a Bible teacher when I was in Christian school, and uh, he used to say, when it comes to sins, gang, you know, if we confess our sins, you got to fess them when you do them, don't group them. Okay, now that's good theology. Think about this. When it comes to sins, you got to fess them when you do them, don't group them. So sometimes you and I have gotten out of fellowship with God, we got mad at somebody, we said something in anger, you know, we kicked the dog, we said something we shouldn't have said, we bit somebody's head off, so to speak, you know, we were ugly with somebody, maybe we thought a bad thought, whatever the issue is, and we know we shouldn't have, but we don't deal with it. Well, we're out of fellowship with God. And then later on, you know, something else comes up and we act in a selfish way or they start piling up. And now you've spent the whole day out of fellowship with God. And my Bible teacher was saying, look, when it comes to sins, fess them when you do them, don't group them. It's interesting, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, that's an interesting word. The word confess does not just mean to tell on yourself. Uh, it is the word homo legeo, homo, like homosexual, homo sapien, homogenize. Homo means the same. Legeo, from which we get our word logic, or logo, it means to say or to speak. So homo logeo, logeo means to speak the same thing. That's the meaning behind the word confess. So what's confess mean? You agree with God about your sin. It's not like, oh, sorry, Lord, I messed up. You didn't mess up, you sinned. Okay, that pornography, that was sin. That angry word was sin. That cuss word was sin. That gossip was sin. You gotta call it what God calls it. And when you do call it what God calls it, he's not only faithful to forgive you, He's just to forgive you. How can he be just to forgive you? Well, because there is a due punishment for sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. And somebody paid for your sins as a Christian. Who paid for those sins? Christ. And how did he pay for it? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And specifically, what was it that Jesus offered on the cross that is the propitiation for our sins? The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So when you confess your sins to God as a Christian, you're not getting resaved. You don't lose your salvation, but you're coming back to fellowship with him. So we got to remain in fellowship. By the way, not only remain through, you know, getting right with God when there's wrong, but how about uh, I mentioned Psalm 1 yesterday? 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in what? You remember? In the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate. I always say that, meditate. Okay, it's like a cow chewing the cud. You gotta ponder it, you gotta think about it. In his law doth he meditate day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Okay, that's the sum total of Psalm 1. Interesting, he says, the godly man will meditate in the word of God. So like a tree planted by the rivers of water, you know, when you see a tree uh, at a river's edge, it never lacks for water. So it doesn't matter if it's a time of drought or whatever. If it's by a riverbank, it's constantly producing. It's constantly flourishing. That's what God wants you and me to be like, to remain in him, to have fellowship with him. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. One of the reasons it's so important to memorize scripture I have one particular message I preach on memorizing Scripture, and I'll ask people, have you ever heard an entire message on memorizing the Bible? Rarely do I meet anybody who's heard a full message on memorizing Scripture. Um, I only have one on the topic, but I will tell you, I, I think I need to emphasize it more. It is the sword of the Spirit, and it is the Word that's going to keep your mind and your heart. It's the Word that's going to give you power to walk with God. I want you to jump over for a minute to uh, Romans. We'll come back to John. Don't lose your place here, but go to Romans chapter 8 for a minute. We'll talk about remaining. Again, relationship is constant, but fellowship depends. Fellowship depends on obedience. It depends on, hey, do you communicate with God? With God? You know, in a, in a marriage, how, how healthy is your marriage going to be if you don't have meaningful communication? And, you know, guys, look, a lot of us like to speak in headlines and our wives like to speak in small print. I mean, that's, there are exceptions to that, but, you know, typically the, the wife likes the details. I'm, Angela, my wife loves details. And sometimes I'm, you know, I'm thinking if I could just cut to the chase and get the headlines, I'd love that. But I've learned we don't do that, okay? We have to communicate. I have to listen, and she needs to talk. And uh, so do you know that if you're going to have a healthy relationship with God, you need to communicate? And both parties need to communicate. But a lot of times people are, are have, you know, if, they, if they're faithful in one thing, it's usually to the negligence of another. Well, some people are really good about daily devotions, but they don't do much in the way of praying. And some people are very consistent in prayer, but they don't do much in the way of daily reading and meditating. Listen, you need a dose of both. You need, you need fellowship with God both ways. It's the apostles in um, Acts 6-4 gave themselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. And the word give themselves is easily illustrate in our society. It's like a, a, an addict who gives himself to his addiction. Have, have you seen homeless people that are addicted to alcohol and drugs? By the way, it's not just among the homeless. Have you seen people that live on your street that are addicted to drugs and alcohol? Amazing. And God says, no, I want you to have a healthy addiction. You need to addict yourself to the word and to prayer. So you might say, well, I don't drink. Listen, I, I can tell you publicly, I have never drunk alcohol in my life, period, and I never will. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe it's right. I, I do not drink, and I stand up against it. I don't, Drew, I've never done drugs in my life. I never smoked a joint, never touched drugs. But I'll tell you something. If I never did drugs and never did alcohol, but I don't spend time in God's Word and prayer, 
how am I any better than the heroin addict out there? You know, I'm not godly because I stay away from bad stuff. The only way to be godly is to walk with God. Amen. And it's, it's not like, okay, I read my Bible, check it off, that makes me godly. The point of reading the Bible is not to check off that I read it. The point of the reading the Bible is to communicate with my Savior, my Father. Same for you. Okay, we're in Romans 8. So look at verse 26, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Interesting, the Spirit itself. Now we know, you know, the Holy Spirit is usually referred to in masculine. However, the term spirit is a neutral, neuter term, a neutral term. You know, God is a spirit, for instance. So here it says spirit itself. Why? Well, I think the translators did that because the next verse says, He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit, because he, masculine, maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, so the spirit of God makes intercession for the saints, as well as the son of God makes intercession for the saints. You know what that tells me? When I'm praying, I've got the help of the Holy Spirit, and I've got the help of the heavenly son. They're both making intercession for me. Verse 8 uh, 28, sorry. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, what's predestination got in mind? Yes, God knows who's going to be saved. That, that doesn't negate free will. That does not negate the fact that God wants all men to be saved. But he says, here's what's predetermined. Once you come to Christ, you're going to be like Christ. He's going to make you like him. And verse 30, he says... Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called. Whom he called, and he also justified. Whom he justified, then he also glorified. Now we get into the permanency of the relationship. Notice this. What should we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now that's really important when Satan comes accusing you. Have you ever felt the accusations of the devil? How about like every day? You call yourself a Christian. You just thought that. You just said that. You just spoke like that. How could you possibly be saved? Whew. Okay, if God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, he didn't just die for you. He, he made every provision for all that's necessary to life and godliness, according to 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather, that's risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Okay, so he's making the case that no matter what accusations Satan brings against you, your relationship is forever secure because Jesus Christ died for your sins. He shed his blood for your sins. He rose again to prove that God accepted the sacrifice. You're justified fully by him. Look at verse uh, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, famine, or nakedness, peril, or sword? Then I wondered why verse 36 was in here. It almost seems to get out of context. It's not, but let me explain it to you. As it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. What's that mean? That is a quote from Psalm 4422. And if you look back, he just said, okay, what could possibly separate us from the love of Christ? And he mentioned some things. Tribulation, like really hard times. Distress, like things that cause stress. Persecution, when people oppose you. Famine, when there's no food. Nakedness, there's no clothing. 
Peril when you're in great danger. Sword when your life is on the line. If you had any of those experiences, does that mean that God has abandoned you? God's forsaken you? That's why verse 36, as it's written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He's talking about those who were martyred for the faith. He was talking about prophets who died for the truth. Did God abandon Jeremiah because he ended up dying? You know, when, when others uh, died because of their, like John the Baptist, did that mean God had turned his back on John the Baptist? No. He's saying, look, even when the worst comes and you feel like, where's God in all this? He hasn't forsaken you. Look at verse 37. Nay, in all these things, in all these events, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the point of all that is once you're saved, folks, you are forever saved. Now, some people say, well, if I believe that, I'd go out and live like the devil. I totally disagree with that. Because Hebrews chapter 12 says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. I had really good parents that loved me. My dad was my best man in my wedding. I'll tell you, there was a time in my teen years, I was a rebel. Um, I had gotten saved, but we had not gotten in a good church. I was not being discipled, and rock music was the big influence in my life until, until we started going to a good church and I surrendered. And there was a time my dad went to discipline me when I was a young man, and I punched my dad. And uh, back in Old Testament Israel, I'd have been taken out and stoned. And I know there are a lot of kids getting stoned today, but I'm not talking about that kind. I'm talking about dead. That would have been me under Old Testament law. But my dad didn't give up on me. My parents prayed, God, please do something in our family. And I remember the night we had family meeting, and my dad said, you know, we've called this family meeting because mom and I have been attending a class at church on how to raise godly children and we've realized we have blown it. We have failed you kids and we have failed God. Would you please forgive us? This is a family meeting we're having. I'm 14 and a half at the time. And then I remember my, my dad said, look, from now on, kids, whatever the Bible says, we're going to do it. And that's not going to be easy. It's going to be a big change in this family. And my dad looked at me and he said, now, Rich, we think it's too late for you, but we're going to try anyway. <laughs> now, when your own dad thinks it's too late for you, what, what do you think your prospects are, right? Man, God did a work. He changed our family. I had gotten saved when I was 10, but I didn't really get into fellowship with the Lord until I was 14 and a half. But I will tell you, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He'll discipline. My dad and mom disciplined me, and it wasn't because they didn't love me. It's because they did love me. If you're saved, the Lord will discipline you. So fellowship depends. Relationship is constant. So fellowship depends on what? Obedience and communication. So when you've done wrong, you got to come back into fellowship. That brings us to the second R, which is the word remove. Remove. Now let's go back to our text, John 15. Look at the first three verses. John 15, I'm the true vine. My father's the husbandman. He's the vineyard keeper. He's the farmer. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And let me pause there. Um, my, my spiritual gift, my motivational gift is profit. I see it black and white. I don't mean I'm getting prophecy from God. His word's complete. But I mean, my, what motivates me is thus saith the Lord, right? So because of my, my spiritual gift, I, I tend to see things very black and white. And so when I read this, every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. I thought, serves them right. You know, they're not bearing fruit. <laughs> he rips them up. And well, that's not what it means. The word take away here is like to take away from the fallen position, take away from lying on the ground and prop it up. Like, 
Have any of you ever raised tomatoes and you stake up tomato vine to grow tomatoes? Anybody ever do that? Okay, I grew up in southern New Jersey, and South Jersey's the garden state. Well, Jersey's the garden state, but we had renowned tomatoes. And my parents had these stakes, and the vines would grow up, and the luscious red tomatoes. Okay, so the idea of takeaway is he's going to garner fruit in your life. He's going to, if you're saved, he is working in you to produce fruit. Awfully suspicious when somebody claims to be a Christian and there's no fruit in their life. Now, we're not to judge unrighteously, but we are told to judge righteous judgment. And the Lord says, by their what ye shall know them? By their fruits. I have no basis to assume somebody's a Christian if there's no fruit in his life. I don't know the heart. Only God knows the heart. But I can judge fruit. And the Lord says, if you're his child, he's going to garner fruit in your life. Every branch that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And then notice the rest of verse 2 there. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, then he bring forth what? More fruit. So he's not just satisfied with, well, you know, there, there are a few little... A few, are there a few little fruits on the, tr- on the vine there? That's good. No, he wants more. And then look at verse 3. Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Let's compare that to Romans again. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 this time. Romans chapter 6. The very first chapter of the Bible I ever memorized was Romans 6. I remember doing this as a kid. Now, I am heartily advising you. I'm urging you to memorize Scripture. And if you say, well, Rich, you know, I don't know where to start. All right, let me give you a good project. How about Romans 6? You can't miss. It's a great chapter. It's only 23 verses long. Even if you just did the first 14 verses, the first half of the chapter is phenomenal. You say, well, I'm not very good at memorizing. What if you, ver- what if you memorize a verse a week? Okay, then in 14 weeks, you could know Romans 6, 1 to 14. Hey, if you did a verse a day, you could know the whole, that section in two weeks, 14 days, right? So find a manageable goal. Why, why am I recommending this? Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 6. What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized, in, uh, I'm sorry, so then... Um, I got off track there, sorry. Yeah, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's why baptism is by immersion, folks. The the picture, like I grew up Methodist as a kid. They sprinkled babies, okay? Okay, one, baptism is for those who believed, not for infants. And also, it's, baptizo is to immerse. Why is it, why has God a stickler on that picture? The idea is it pictures that we've died with Jesus Christ, we're buried with him to the old life, and we're risen to walk in a whole new life. That's not my idea. That's God's picture of baptism, okay? So anything else doesn't give the adequate picture. All right, and then verse 6, knowing this, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that he, we henceforth should not, serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Uh, Jump ahead to verse 11 for sake of time. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For uh, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let it rule that ye should obey it, obey sin in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members. What are your members? 
Remember in Sunday school, be careful little hands what you do. Be careful, well, we say big mouth what you say. You know, be careful little ears what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down. Above. Okay, let not your members, let not sin reign in your members. Verse 13, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from that. Your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. Now, when I was taught to meditate on Scripture, I was taught, you know, personalize it. So you take Romans 6 and you say, what shall I, Rich Tozer, say then? Shall I continue in? Okay, so what was, uh, let's see, I was a teenager. What was I dealing with? Lust, bad thinking. Um, I, I had a, a filthy mouth before I got walking with God. You know, I used to cuss and such. So I would personalize it. What shall I, Rich, say? Shall Rich Tozer continue in? cussing, lust, bad thinking, whatever. Shall I continue in that, that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall I, rich, who am dead to cursing, lust, whatever, fill it in, how shall I continue in this? Personalize it. And I'll tell you, it is transformative. That's a great way to memorize scripture. And the next time you're tempted, ooh, you want to say something, what shall I say then? Shall I continue in profanity that grace may abound? God forbid. Okay, so that's how you take the scripture and you use it to remove sin from your life. I, uh, I have an illustration one day. We were, we were driving in our truck and trailer. I have a 43-foot trailer. It has three axles, and we pull it with a Freightliner truck. And so I have a little monitor on my dash that tells me the pounds per square inch, the, the tire pressure of all 12 wheels on my rig, and the temperature. Because our tires range anywhere from 350 to 500 bucks a tire. And when you got 12 of them, that's a lot of money, right? So buying this little monitor helped because it sends me a signal if I start losing tire pressure, the, tire, the tire's going to blow. Well, one day my monitor went off, beep, 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 beep. And it pressure, the temperature normally runs, you know, anywhere from 85 to 100 degrees when I'm rolling down the road. Well, this thing said like 138 degrees and it was climbing. So I immediately pulled over, and I went back to check the tire the sensor had triggered, and it is on fire. The, the axle is on fire. So I ran up, grabbed my fire extinguisher, got it out before it melted the tire, did any real damage. I thought, what in the world? Well, what had happened is on the back axle, um, brake lines run between the two wheels. Brake lines, a little thin, you know, ours like 3 16th of an inch interior diameter. And they had been... Um, uh, zip-tied to the axle. Well, somehow in our travels, the brake line had shifted up on top of the axle. And when we hit a pothole, then the axle went up and jammed against the frame and it crimped the brake line. Well, without brake fluid flowing through there, that, that's what allows the calipers, the brake calipers, to either squeeze against the drum or release, or the rotors, and re either release or, or uh, constrict. Well, they were stuck in a closed position. So all that friction creates heat and going down the road at 65 miles an hour, that's what created the fire. Okay, what a picture of abiding. I had to cut off the broken part of brake line. I had to go to the store and get another brake line. Had to reestablish the flow of fluid through there so the calipers would be able to work properly. When that line was crimped, there was no flow of fluid. Okay, think about this. Sin crimps the flow of the Spirit of God in your life. And until you deal with the problem, you can wish to do better. You can say, I'm going to try harder. But if you don't reestablish, if I may use the term, the flow of the Spirit, 
the free working of the Spirit in your life, you're not going to see fruitfulness. Okay, how do you reestablish the flow of his grace in your life? You got to remove the sin from your life. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Romans 13, 14 says, Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So you got to remove the sin from your life. Okay, so the first word is remain. The second key word is remove. And then there's one more word, and that is the word reproduce. What's the third R? Okay, we have remain, we have remove, and then third, reproduce. Look back to verse 2, and we're going back to John again, John 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that I may bring forth more fruit. Okay, I underlined the word fruit. Actually, I double underlined it. And then I put double underline under more fruit. Notice the progression here. Then go with me to verse number uh, 4. Abide in me, I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit, underline that, of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Okay, notice, this is an all or nothing proposition. Through him we can bear what? Much fruit. And without him we can do what? Nothing. It's like that brake line I was illustrating. You know, when the brake line's open, the brakes function properly. When the brake line is shut off, it's not working. Okay, so when you and I are abiding in him, when we're allowing the free flow of grace working in our life, we're, we're in a relationship where our sins confessed, where we're in communication with God, we're abiding in him, he can work freely. But the sad thing is a lot of people live their Christian lives with fellowship crimped off or... I've had other illustrations where, you know, I had a fuel filter on the um, vehicle and it got clogged up and now it's not getting fuel to the engine. If you don't have fuel to the engine, you're literally starving the engine. And if you're, if you're not abiding in him, if you're not in his word and you're not in prayer, you're literally choking the spiritual engine. So you got to be in constant communication, communion with him. All right. Then you reproduce. Notice verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Now, how do you bear much fruit? We'll go back to verse 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, it shall be done unto you. Okay, you abide in me. Yeah, okay, remain in fellowship with him. My words abide in you. My words abide. How do you get the word of God abiding in you? That's the whole idea of you got to memorize it so you can meditate on it. Thy word have I hid in my heart, so what? That I might not sin against thee, right? That's uh, Psalm 119, uh, uh, 11. Psalm 119, 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Verse 9 is, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Yeah, verse 10 says, With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. So not... That's a good passage to memorize. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Great, great section to memorize. Okay, so let me illustrate. Uh, let's go to Galatians as we wrap this up. Galatians chapter 6, and I will illustrate with a final picture here in a minute. Galatians 6, verses 7 to 9. 
He that soweth to the flesh, uh, be, I'm sorry, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Okay, so, you know, it's the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. I mean, if you plant corn seeds, you're going to get corn. If you plant, you know, hay seeds, you'll get hay. If you plant apple seeds, you get apple trees. Everything produces after its kind. You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. Why do people get venereal diseases? Because they're engaging in promiscuous sexual activity. Why do people, in, in many cases, I know it's not exclusively, but why, by, why in a preponderance of cases do people get cirrhosis of the liver? They drink themselves to that place, you know, and, and I could go on and on. Actions have consequences. If you stick metal objects in, in an electrical outlet, you're going to feel the juice, right? Actions have consequences. So if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. But Flip it around, if you sow to the Spirit, notice capital S, what Spirit is that? Holy Spirit, you'll reap what? Life everlasting. Now, I mentioned this last night, but I thought it was worth revisiting. I used to struggle with that because I thought, wow, it sounds like, you know, if you live a good enough life, then as a benefit, you'll, you'll be given an everlasting life. Well, we know that's not how you get saved. You don't get saved based on your works. So what does he mean if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap life everlasting? You've already been given life everlasting. Meaning, you'll be used to see others brought life everlasting. It, you will reproduce. When, when couples marry and they engage in the intimacy of marriage, what would be the fruit of a marriage relationship? Children. Okay, so when Christians walk with God in fellowship, what should be the, res uh, the result? Other people being brought to Christ. That's the, that's the goal, okay? And, you know, again, one plants and other waters. God gives the increase. But we all ought to be involved in the process, giving out tracts and witnessing and praying for lost people, and, and we get to reap the harvest too. But, you know, there ought to be all of it involved. So if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap life everlasting. Interesting. I've got here a glove. It's a work glove. I asked Pastor if I could borrow it. So I want to, I'm going to put this glove up here for a minute. Now, I'm going to time this for five seconds, okay? So I'm going to say, go, and you watch this for five seconds. All right, ready? Go. Keep your eye on it. Okay, it's amazing how long five seconds is, isn't it? That was five seconds. What happened during that five seconds? Nothing. nothing absolutely Nothing. I think you ought to take this back. It's called a work glove, and you're getting nothing out of it, right? <laughs> well, we all know the concept of a work glove. Listen, when the hand's in the glove, now something can happen. Okay, whatever the hand will do, the glove will respond. Follow this analogy. As the hand is to the glove, so Christ is to the Christian. He is the life. One of my favorite books I've read, a devotional book, is called The Saving Life of Christ by Ian Thomas. He's a British preacher. And he said this, summary statement of the whole book, The Saving Life of Christ. He said, the death of Jesus for you was to put the life of Jesus in you. That's really good. The death of Jesus for you was to put the life of Jesus in you. 
He wrote another book called The Indwelling Life of Christ, and I want to um, read just a statement from that book. It's called the, The Main Thrust, the final chapter of the book. He writes, having come to a point in life of being entirely exhausted, Bonnie Hain had concluded that it was simply not worth the struggle to go on. One day, anticipating that her husband would be late coming home from work, Bonnie wrote him a note and left it in the, on the kitchen table. The note said, I did it in the bathtub so you wouldn't have to clean up the mess. In the providence of God, her husband came home early that day. He found his wife in the bathtub with both of her wrists lit. But he arrived in time to save her life. Bonnie and her husband were not Christians at that time, nor did they have any understanding of what it really means to be a Christian. When they arrived home later from the hospital, however, Bonnie's husband placed a phone call to a local pastor that he had never met. Would you please come, he said. It's an emergency. The pastor, Bob Hobson, had once experienced his own time of deep despair in his life and ministry. And it was during that time that I had the joy of leading Bob to an understanding and appreciation of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Now, in response to this plea from a couple he didn't know, Bob went to see them. He led them both to Christ, and he fully understood what that means. He didn't just invite them to join his church or simply make a decision for Jesus so they could head to heaven instead of hell. He led them to Christ. He invited them to receive somebody so that somebody would live inside them, somebody living in somebody. Such truth was revolutionary for this couple. From the moment of their genuine salvation, they fully grasped the implication of being born from above, becoming the recipients of the resurrection life of the one who was crucified and then rose from the dead to share his life with them on earth on their way to heaven. Life has held the same excitement for them ever since. I've come to know Bonnie very well. I've often quoted a poem that she wrote just three months after she, she came so close to dying by her own hand. So she'd only been a Christian three months. And she wrote this. It's called Discovering Christ in Me. Listen to this poem. Discovering daily who God really is. Thanking him daily. He's mine and I'm his. Discovering daily God's great love for me. Such mercy. Forgiveness. Amazingly free. Discovering daily that God really cares. Discovering daily he does answer prayers. Discovering daily what grace really means, unmerited favor beyond all my dreams. Discovering daily, God speaking to me. He speaks through the Bible. Once blind, now I see. Discovering daily, each, uh, discovering, discovering each day that I live, that all that I need, he freely will give. Discovering daily, Christ working through me, accomplishing daily what never could be. Discovering daily, I can't. But he can, thanking him daily for my place in his plan. Discovering daily how real life can be when I'm living in Christ and he's living in me. Discovering daily a song in my heart with anticipation for each day to start. Delighting and basking in love so divine, secure in the knowledge I'm his and he's mine. Besides mere contentment, excitement I see, a daily adventure, Christ living in me. That is a good description of what it means to abide in Christ. In fact, uh, Ian, Tom Ian Thomas in the same book wrote these words, the Christian life is nothing less than the life which he lived then being lived now by him in me. That's a good description. 
That's what we need. You, if you know the Lord as Savior, the prayer of your heart ought to be, Lord, I know you died for me. I know you rose again. But I know you didn't just die to give me a ticket to heaven. I know you died that you would impart your life to me. And I want that life to be lived out in fullness, in reality, and in fruitfulness. Three R's of abiding in Christ. Remain, remove, 